So we're coming to the end of our um, vision series that uh, we've been working on for several months, and uh, we have a guest speaker next week, and then we're going to be coming back with the encounter service and closing out the um, vision series, and then starting in a series of the book of Ephesians. So um, this is going to be a, one of the last talks uh, that you're going to hear on the, the vision series. Um, many of you have expressed to the elders that you have, uh, that your life with God and life in community, the first two parts of the three parts of the vision, uh, have actually never been better. And that's been really encouraging to us to hear those stories and testimonies. At the same time, we recognize that there are some of you that are really struggling in your relationship with God and people. And I just want you to know you're not alone in that. And we're going to keep walking with you on your journey uh, wherever you are in that process. Last week, Jake introduced this third part of the, um, the vision series, Lights in the World. And um, he... uh, did an incredible job with that. Um, you know, in, in John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And in Matthew 5, he said, you are the light of the world. And, um, and, and that, uh, that you seems to have carried all the way down to you and me, um, all the way down to today, 2,000 years later. So Jake highlighted from John 20 um, a statement of Jesus saying that just as I was sent into the world, now I am sending you. And um, if you will just be patient, now I have got a... So, so if, um, if you're a disciple of Jesus, then you are sent, according to that scripture, to be light in the world. Jake highlighted um, that as sent ones, that um, we should carry that out with prayer, proximity, and power. And Jake is too humble to say this, but he actually models all three of those things very well. First, with prayer. You know, the prayer life within the elder group is as robust as, as I've ever experienced at, at Hope Church. And, um, and we also have a prayer room in our new building, largely because of Jake Walker and his vision for that. And, uh, and asking that we have our architect build that end, which we did. Um, you know, the proximity is, is all about being close enough to hurting people to impact them. 
And that means getting your hand into some messy things. And Jake and Kara um, definitely have modeled that for us as they have gotten into the messy world down in the Fifth Ward, Denver Harbor area where they go down five days a week taking their kids uh, to school down there. And it's beautiful. And then the power of the Holy Spirit's also part of, um, of Jake's life and, and experience. Now, Jake, since you're here, remember that behind every great man is an even greater woman, right? But I, I like the other version of that, though, which says behind every great man is a surprised woman. And, uh, and so, and yet, eh, I'm not sure how surprised Kara is because uh, she's been walking with you and watching your transformation over these last 10 years. So if we're going to be sent um, to be lights in the world, I would like to suggest that our passage for today highlights two key things that need to be true about us. The first is captured in those four letters that have gone popular around the world, WWJD, what would Jesus do? But I think that maybe we should start with WDJD, not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do while he was on earth? You know, as we look back at the scripture, um, in Matthew 9, and look at what did it say that Jesus actually did? It said he went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So he went out. He went out. He took initiative to go. He wasn't passive. He was proactive. You know, I, I wonder if the disciples kept track of all the cities um, that they had been to. Maybe on a map. Maybe they had a map in Simon Peter's house and maybe Simon Peter's wife, that was one of her support roles, is maybe she had pushpins uh, where they would actually track what cities had Jesus and the disciples been to and where did they still need to go in order to go to all of the cities and the villages in Israel. You know, I, I realized in preparing for this that I can relate to the disciple Matthew more than I thought I could. Um, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, so Matthew was a numbers guy. I'm a financial advisor, so I'm a numbers guy. Matthew was a tax collector, and people owed him money. And in my former career as a banker, people owed me money as I was lending to them. So I had that in common. And... Uh, you know, in the, in the Chosen video uh, TV series, Matthew carried around a notebook, similar to the one that I carry around. And have you noticed what, what Matthew does while he is with, with Jesus? He, he walks around and he takes notes. 
in his little, his little notebook. And, and I was just kind of pondering. I, I wonder what that was like for, I wonder if Matthew and Jesus had a conversation where Matthew came up to him one day and said, okay, Jesus, according to my notes, um, we've been to 32 different cities. And uh, if you, if you want to see the specific names of those cities, Jesus, here they are. And, and ac- according to my understanding, there's about 80-something cities in Israel. So I think we have 50 more to go, Jesus. Now, Jesus, if we, you know, if we, if we went to five cities a month, we could knock out those 50 cities in 10 months. And, and so what, what do you think, Jesus? And, you know, Jesus, the way you're ticking off the, uh, at the rate you're ticking off the Pharisees, I'm not sure we're going to have much more than 10 months to work with. Um, and so we probably need to have a pretty robust schedule here. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I just, I love the, the way that, that Matthew walked with Jesus and was so thorough and methodical in uh, keeping track of everything that they did. And um, who knows exactly how that happened in real life, um, but it's, it's beautiful to watch and, and to just ponder. As you read the scripture, don't just read the verse, the, what's, what's plainly before us, but ponder, I wonder what that might have been like um, to have been thinking through what Jesus did, going to every city. So Jesus um, was a proactive light in the world. What else did Jesus do? He taught. And, uh, and you, you might say, well, teaching is for Jesus and the elders and leaders and pastors of the church. So that doesn't really apply to me. Well, let me, let me encourage you to look with me at Matthew 28 and um, take a fresh look at, at one specific phrase in there. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that seems to indicate that there is a sense in which all of us need to be teaching, not just lights in the world, going into the world um, and doing what Jesus did, then we need to be teaching what Jesus taught. In, in Jesus' teaching, he spoke about the gospel or the good news. You think about that phrase, good news, for a minute, and ask yourself, how often, how recently have I had a conversation with somebody outside of the body of Christ where I actually referred to the good news? I, had, I realized, thinking through that, I, I haven't done that much at all. But it made me wonder, I wonder if, if that's something that we should consider, that we should do more of, is refer to the good news of 
our faith. Um, so here's an idea of how you can use the, good, the words good news this week. Start it, if you're married and you have kids, start it with your kids. So have a devotional, have a little family time, have a conversation in which you talk with your kids about the good news. Refer to your faith and, and all that Jesus has done as good news. And think through what is good about the good news to you. How would you summarize and reflect the good news of the gospel to your kids? How could you maybe talk about the beauty of the forgiveness of sin, the beauty of the fact that we're gonna get to be with Jesus in heaven um, and that's just really good news. Or maybe, as Lauren shared, there's, there's healing that's taken place that's good news. Maybe there's joy that you've experienced since coming to be a follower of Christ that is part of the good news that you would tell someone. Or maybe it's just the purpose and meaning uh, that Jesus has given to your life since becoming a follower of his. That that's good news. And, and so I'd encourage you to, to think through the good news that you could share. So all of that is under the WWJD, what would Jesus do or what did Jesus do, which leads us into the second point that I want to make tonight, which is not what would Jesus do, but what would Jesus feel? And again, think about what did Jesus feel? And when you look at the passage of Matthew 9, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Seems that Jesus' feeling of compassion was tied closely with a perspective that he had that people were like sheep without a shepherd. I wonder if Jesus might be feeling that same thing today about the people of Jersey Village, of Houston, of Texas and beyond, that, that we, that the world that we're in and around are like sheep without a shepherd. Where else do we see Jesus' compassion? You know, after John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus went by himself out into a boat and spent some time alone, I think probably to mourn and to pray and to just be processing that really awful thing. What's interesting is, is that he came back in Mark 6, and he just immediately got out of the boat. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things.
You know, in, in Luke 19, there's a, a beautiful description of the heart of Jesus where this is a week before he's gonna die. Palm Sunday, he's entering into Jerusalem. He's coming down from the Mount of Olives and he stops and he looks out over Jerusalem. And it says, as he looks out over the city, knowing what is about to happen, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept. I think at that point, he knows what's about to happen. He knows this is the final week. He knows that he's going to die. He knows that the people are going to turn against him. He knows that, that there's just going to be this outpouring of ugly all over him. He knows that Satan is just working in the midst of all these people, confusing them. And, and it, it would be so easy for him to just be incredibly angry at Satan, incredibly frustrated with the people that you don't get it, that you're so blind, that you're so hard, your hearts are so, hearts are so hard. But yet, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept. He had compassion. You know, this is not just a New Testament thing. This is not just a Jesus thing. In 1 Kings 22, it says that um, all, it says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. That's been the heart of God all throughout the Bible, all throughout time, is he's a shepherd. He wants to be the shepherd of people. And people have had a tendency to resist him as shepherd. You know, in the movie, Jesus Revolution, that just came out, I really hope you will go see that. It is the story of a spiritual awakening, a revival that broke out in California 50 years ago. Chuck Smith was the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California, in a small, dying church. An evangelist named Lonnie Frisbee, played by Jonathan Rumi, had an interaction where Lonnie and Chuck talked for a brief moment about Lonnie's perspective. Lonnie was, a, was one of the hippies that got radically saved and started teaching, preaching, and speaking to all of his peers, other hippies, um, about the beauty of the, of the gospel. And he wanted so much for there to be a church that could receive all of these hungry people all of these thirsty people that were so needing a church to help them. Lonnie looks at Chuck in this conversation and says, you know, Chuck, my people are like sheep without a shepherd. And 
your church is making it really hard for them because you're not opening your arms. You're not opening your doors. You're making this really difficult. And that grabbed Chuck Smith's heart. And he repented of that hard resistance. And he even had people in the church, leaders in the church that had been around probably for decades in his church that said, basically, you let these people in and we're out. And that's what happened. He let them in and they went out. And as they came in, one of the most incredible revivals, spiritual awakenings happened that's happened, probably the greatest one that's happened during my lifetime. I was about 12 years old when that was happening. I don't remember it, but there was a, a there's a group, a music group called Love Song. Love Song or Lo Love Story, I don't remember now. Um, and uh, they were, um, I remember, so I, I graduated from high school in 1976, and that was about six years into this revival, and, and they were just a powerful part of my spiritual life uh, at that time. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's leading us to this place of saying, do we... Do we have the compassion that Jesus has for our community? Do we see people as sheep without a shepherd? You know, I've, um, we don't have sheep and shepherds running around in Jersey Village and in Cyprus um, where, where I am. But we get the idea, I think you get the idea, that sheep are vulnerable and needy and they need a shepherd. People need to humble themselves and admit that they need a shepherd and that Jesus is that shepherd that they need. I want to walk you through just a little bit of a reflection and prayer time. As the music team comes up and plays some music in the background, um, while, while I walk you through this, you know, I'm not where I want to be in my compassion for the world, for Houston, for Jersey Village. Several years ago, I had an experience where God gave me a taste of his heart for Houston 
and I begin to weep for our city. And I, I want more of that. You know, I think the last several years have actually caused our hearts to grow colder and harder toward the world. Especially with there being an increased persecution that Christians are experiencing in the U.S. and around the world. And I want to challenge us that we can't go down that road of letting our hearts get cold and hard. Now is the time more than ever to press into the tender, warm, compassionate heart of Christ, even if it means dying for him. The world is like sheep without a shepherd, and Jesus' heart is full of compassion. And we have been sent as lights in the world to be lights in the world, to be his lights in the world. But if we're gonna be lights in this world, if we're going to reflect Jesus's heart, we've gotta not only do what Jesus did, but feel what Jesus felt. So we've gotta ask the question, not just Jesus, what. What would you do, but what would you feel? Not just what did you do, but what did you feel? Jesus was the most beautiful mix of doing and feeling that's ever existed. So I just invite and challenge us to wrap our arms around if we're gonna be lights in the world, if we're gonna be lights in Jersey Village, especially as we move into our new building and we have opportunity, I think, with new people, possibly many new people coming, we're gonna to have to be reflecting Jesus accurately. We talked a few weeks ago about how Jesus sees people as both fallen and alone as both sinful and needing a savior, but also alone, hurting, and needing a relationship with a shepherd. I wanna ask you to close your eyes for just a minute, and I want you to think about the shepherd, Jesus, your shepherd. Because before Jesus takes you out to be an extension of his shepherding heart for Jersey Village and beyond, he wants to shepherd your heart. He wants to, to touch you with his compassion. Could you just take a moment and ask your shepherd, Jesus? Jesus, you know what I'm going through right now. You know the pain, the struggle that I'm in. How do you feel for me? Would you just sit with him for just a moment and let him, as your shepherd, 
love you in a fresh way tonight? Would you let him speak over you that he, he's not only concerned about you shepherding and being helping sheep without a shepherd outside of your house, but also starting with you. So would you just ask him, Lord, would you speak to me now and just help me to taste the sweetness of your compassion? How do you feel for my pain as I bring it to you? Would you ask him, Jesus, would you help me see people as sheep without a shepherd? Jesus, your shepherd heart for us is staggering. It's mind-boggling how beautiful it is, how sweet it is, how real it is. At times in the midst of our failure, our sin, our passivity, it's hard to believe that you actually could be such a loving shepherd but you are we declare it we receive it we believe it would you help us embrace it in a fresh way so that we can be lights in this community so that we can be an accurate reflection of your heart, of your compassion. Lord, would you pour out revival in Cyprus, in, in Jersey Village, in Houston? Would you 
Would you do the, the same thing that happened in Costa Mesa 50 years ago? Would you do it now here? Would you use us? Would you put within our hearts a belief that it could happen? Would you stir within us a hope and a belief that it can happen and that we can be part of it? And would you use that similar approach from 50 years ago of letting the world, letting our community, letting our friends see and taste your compassion and your loving kindness. Thank you, Jesus. Your love is just incredible. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name.